This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Our second reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. It's on page 25 of the New Testament in your pew Bibles. Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, who put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? When was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, When was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick and in prison and did not take care of you? And then he will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, these words from your mouth are hard for us to hear. They sound harsh and unfair. Lord, would you give us this morning ears to hear and hearts to understand what you are saying to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This summer we have been finding God in unexpected places with the help of Krish Kandaya's book, God is Stranger. This morning, we're going to look together at two passages of scripture, Isaiah 58 and Matthew 25, that reveal to us how you and I encounter God in the unexpected stranger, the them. Each of us has a them. We grew up learning there is an us and them from the time we're born. When I was growing up, in a rural village outside of Ithaca, New York. The them was anyone affiliated with Cornell University. They were haughty, 
intellectually driven academics who were wealthy and didn't know the difference between a Phillips head screwdriver and a flathead screwdriver. The us were all the farmers, the blue-collared workers that I, grew up, that I grew up around who lived paycheck to paycheck. My grandmother cleaned house for Cornell professors. She cleaned house well into her 70s because she had to. And the few times that I joined her as a little girl, I could feel there was a clear distinction between us and them. I couldn't touch their stuff, and I had to leave before the them came home. But now, I'm married to the son of a Cornell professor, so I actually know. I know a Cornell professor who's very dear to my heart. And I know that the them are not quite as stuck up as I thought all of them were. But how about you? Who were the them when you were growing up? After I graduated from college, I lived in Africa for a little while, in a small village in the Gambia. For a few months, I was a them. People would stare at me as they saw me walking to get water. Women would come up to me and touch my hair and then make exasperated faces and say, what can you do with this? And my hair was much longer then. Children would yell at me, two bob, two bob. Two bob just means white in their local dialect. It was the first time in my life that I felt like I was an unwelcomed them. Have you ever felt like you were a them? And when you think about your life right now, who are the them that you don't want to associate with or keep your distance from? At first glance, when we look at this passage in the book of Matthew, we can feel like Jesus is setting us up with us and them as the righteous and the unrighteous. The righteous are the people who do good deeds. Unrighteous are the people who don't do good deeds. The righteous feed the hungry, clothe the naked, care for the sick. The unrighteous don't do any of those things. The righteous give drinks to the thirsty, they welcome the stranger, they visit the imprisoned, they clothe the naked, the unrighteous don't do any of those things. It's tempting then for us to pat ourselves on the back, breathe a sigh of relief and say, ah, I know I've done at least a few of those good things, so I'm probably safe. In fact, maybe I've done all of those things. I'm very safe. I'm not unrighteous. Beloved church, this is not actually what Jesus is saying. Jesus is telling this story to his disciples. And when they heard him listing all these actions, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, caring for the sick, they would immediately think of, oh, that's Isaiah 58, our first reading for today, for today. You see, every good Jewish boy knew the Old Testament. That was their whole Bible, and they knew it in their heart. It was so ingrained in them that when Jesus started speaking, they would immediately have thought of Isaiah 58. So turn with me in your Bibles back there again to Isaiah 58. In Isaiah, God is speaking to Israel as an occupied people under the rule of the Persian Empire. The Israelites have just complained to God that they're doing the most holy thing they can think of. They're fasting. And they're fasting a lot. And even though they're fasting a lot, God doesn't seem to actually care. He doesn't notice. 
And so what's the big deal, God? We're doing this most holy thing and you don't even care. And God responds by saying, it's not about doing things to get my attention. It's not about doing, doing things to get my approval. In verse 6, we see that God says, this is what I choose. The kind of spiritual work that God chooses is a work of liberation, not just empty religious practices. As human beings, we all easily fall into the trap of, if I just do X, Y, and Z, then I will get A, B, and C. If I just graduate high school with good enough grades, I'll get into college. If I just have good enough grades in college, I'll get a good job. If I just work really, really hard, my boss will promote me. If I just make enough money, I will be content. And we translate this thinking into our faith. And just like the people of Israel back in the day of Isaiah, we think, if I God will bless me. And I can confess to you that I fall into this mindset. And when I don't do those good things, oh, I forgot to read my Bible today. Jesus, you must hate me. I am like the worst Christian in the whole wide world. And God shakes his head at our small, short-sighted vision. And he says to us, just like he said to Israel back then, it's not about doing things so that I'll like you. God says, I am working liberation in your neighborhood. I'm working in your neighborhood, and I'm inviting you to join me. This is the kind of spiritual work that I choose, he says in verse 6. I choose for you to loose, to undo, to free, to break every single thing that prevents freedom. You see, thing that prevents freedom. You see, this is not a passive faith. And God goes on to say in verse 7, share your bread with the hungry. Bring the homeless poor into your house. When you see the naked, cover them. Do not hide yourself. So what does this look like? The person that God is describing in Isaiah 58 is someone who is not a hoarder. A few years ago, there was a show, I think it came out on TLC, about hoarders. Did anybody ever see it? People who collected, compul yeah, okay, a couple of you, collected compulsively all this stuff into their homes so much that they, their homes were uninhabitable. They just couldn't live there anymore. They never threw anything away. I think I saw one episode, and I was so disturbed, I, I couldn't even finish watching it. I, I would venture to guess that none of us are actually that kind of hoarder. But there may be something, one thing that you hoard, you know, just to be safe in case there's a rainy day. And, and I can tell you, my confession is, I hoard our son's baby clothes and toddler clothes and little boy clothes and all of their shoes, just in case, because you never know. Now you might say, Kimberly, that's not a bad thing. It's frugal. And while that's true, we live in a tiny apartment, and I've already filled up two closets worth of space of things that I'm not using right now. I think it might be a problem. So how about you? What is something that you hoard? 
Do you hoard books or maybe tools? Do you hoard your money? Do you hoard your time? Do you hoard something that you really don't need right now and you probably won't need in the future? You see, the person that God describes in Isaiah 58 lives the way that God wants us to live, and this person is not a hoarder. And the thing that they don't hoard is they don't hoard power. Instead, their life creates freedom from injustice for others. The righteous person does not hoard wealth or resources. They use what they have to feed, to house, to bring for those in need. The righteous person does not hoard their time or their presence. They don't hide themselves. And this means that those who are in need have easy access. They can see them, and they can get the help when they need it. Beloved church, can we say this about ourselves? Can I say that I don't hoard my power, my resources, my time, or my presence? The righteous person lives in a selfless, generous way because of their relationship with God, because this is the way that God is. God does not hoard his power. God does not hoard his resources. God does not hoard his time. And God does not hoard his presence. God is working in the neighborhood, and he invites us to work with him. So what can we expect will happen if we live like this, if we live in the way that God chooses? Look at verse 8 and verse 10. Your light will break forth, and your light will shine, will rise in the darkness. You see, repeatedly throughout the book of Isaiah, God is described as the source of all light, and his light brings salvation to all people. The breaking forth and the rising of your light means that we will reflect the light of God's salvation to others. When we live in the way that God chooses, the light of God's salvation will be clearly seen in us by others. And God is saying that the point of living righteously the point of living the way that God desires for us is not just so that we can get approval and go to heaven. Our relationship with God should produce in us a lifestyle that preaches the good nation so that others will see the light when we live God's way. Because that is what it's like, the kingdom of heaven on earth. So now we've been talking about Isaiah. Remember, the disciples are listening to Jesus, and they're thinking about Isaiah. So turn forward again to Matthew 25. Now, if you look at the beginning of Matthew 25, it's actually on page 24 in your New Testament, Jesus opens his discussion to the disciples by saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven will be like. And then go down to verse 35. Jesus says, I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was a stranger. And the righteous will answer him in verse 37, when? When did we do this for you? And here's the thing, church, the righteous are oblivious. They have no idea to Jesus. It just naturally comes out of their relationship with him. They don't make any careful calculations. If I just do this, then God will be happy with me. They didn't hoard their power, their resources, their time, or their presence. The story of Matthew 25 
is not about righteous and unrighteous as examples of us and them. Matthew 25 is about abolishing the very notion of us and them. You see, the righteous live in such a way that each and every human being is treated as imago Dei, the image of God. No one is less human. No one is avoided or ignored. No one is left behind or forgotten. There, there is no them. The difference between the righteous and the unrighteous is this. The unrighteous live in a world of us and them, while the righteous make no distinction. There is no them. The unrighteous did not take care of Jesus because they did not take care of even the least, the smallest, and the tiniest need. Jesus is saying to his disciples through this story that there's no them. There's only Jesus. When you have a real intimate relationship with Jesus, every division, intimate relationship with Jesus, every division and barrier in our culture and society, every yoke of injustice, every pointing finger, and every evil word collapses because every them is Jesus. This is where God shows up unexpected. Every them, every them that has been in my life, every them in my current culture, I, I should consider every them to be Jesus? What about the them that I don't like? What about the them who have very different political views from me? What about the them who have different theological views from me? What about the them who make me feel uncomfortable? I believe Jesus would say, yes, you need to love and care for them as if you were loving and caring for me. This is thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's a kingdom without us and them. Towards the end of my time in Africa, one of the leaders of the village gave me a new name. They started calling me Ture. Ture was a local family name. And they said I was no longer Tubab, I wasn't white, I was Mfungu, I was black. And I was absolutely floored and completely humbled. I was no longer one of, I was no longer a them, I, I was an us. And you know, all that happened in those few months was that I carried my water, I washed my clothes in it, and I I washed my clothes in it, and I cooked with it, and I drank from it. I worked with the people in the neighborhood. I didn't build a hospital, and I didn't build a school. I was just present. And eventually, I became us. I wonder what would happen if we could do that with each person who we right now consider to be them. Think back now to my earlier question. Who is the them in your life right now? Could you actually live life with them? Could you treat them like you would treat Jesus? 
Could you call them us instead of them? Church, this might seem like an impossible task. But remember, Jesus, God so loved each and every human being that he gave his only son, Jesus, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish in fire with the devil, but have eternal life in the kingdom of heaven. God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn them, but in order that each and every human being might be saved through him, even them. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we need your help to see them with your eyes and to love them with your love. God, would you grant us that kind of vision this week for every person we interact with who feels like a them. Help us to treat them like we treat you and to love them with your love so that they can see the light of your salvation in us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.